Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. All right, well, welcome to the podcast. We've got an exciting podcast today. As always. As always, and I'm joined, as always, <laughs> by the card-carrying member of the Buffalo Sabres fan club. That is true. There's Richard only Blackaby. a handful of us, but, but we're devout. <clears throat> I think you can count them on one hand now. <laughs> the, uh, the preseason just started. And we're undefeated so far. So far. Yeah. What is it, two games two, deep? Two games, two wins. And, of course, those games don't really matter, and we're experts at winning games that don't matter. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's, we're, we're all, we all, everyone has their gifts. You know, it's, it's a new year. It's a new season. <laughs> and there's a new, uh, new set of hope. Is this a building year for it, well, the Sabres? Well, it, yes, it's been a building decade, actually, but so we're, we're a, expecting progress this year. We're a building dynasty. Is... Yeah. Dynasties are not built overnight. <laughs> uh, those of you that don't know, I've been a lifelong uh, Buffalo Sabres sufferer slash fan, mm-hmm. but their year is coming. Yes. I've said that for over 40 years now, but it's closer than it was 40 years ago. That's true. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a, that's a la- hope springs <laughs> eternal. <laughs> well, uh, on that high note, <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's dive in. Uh, this week we're talking about change. Mm-hmm. Change is all around us. Everyone has to change eventually, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. And you and your father dedicated uh, an entire chapter on change, and yeah. whole books have been written about mm-hmm. leading change. So why is change so hard? And why, why did why did you even write this chapter on it? Well, if, if uh, our listeners are familiar with uh, the original version of our book, Spiritual Leadership, we didn't have a chapter on change in the original. But 10 years later, when we did a revision, we had spoken all around the world on leadership. We'd coached a lot of leaders. And uh, over and over again, we saw that change was the waterloo for a lot of leaders. Uh, you know, you, you come to a new uh, job, a new position, and and you have a honeymoon period, and it's kind of exciting, and people are glad to have a new leader coming in until you try to change something. Mm. And then when you start to change something, that usually marks the end of the honeymoon because people are very interesting. As you said, they're surrounded by change. Change they know is inevitable, but change is very painful. And one of the most difficult things a leader will ever do is change and the organization in some way from what it's been like to what it needs to be. Right. And so, so why, why do people resist change? Like, why is that, that such a, a hard thing to accept or embrace? Well, there's, I think there's several reasons, and some are just inherent in human personality. One is just that people are reluctant to make personal changes. And what we don't always realize is that when you're trying to change something in an organization, you think, well, we're just going to change uh, the lunch hour break, or we're going to change uh, how we communicate. Uh, but what we don't realize is that's that's asking people to change personally as well. It affects people personally when we change things in an organization of any kind. I always laugh at uh, King Henry VIII. He, he actually wore a gold medallion on a chain around his neck, and it said, I prefer to die rather than change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could, a lot of people could wear that same medallion. There's sure. a, his daughter, Queen Elizabeth, uh, she was famous for saying, Her Majesty loveth peace. Next, she loveth not change. <laughs> and uh, I think for a lot of folks, that's true. If, if we could change the organization without changing what we do, 
then that then that would be fine. Yeah. But if we say, okay, we're going to uh, change the work environment now. We're not going to have individual offices. We're going to work in in a shared open space. Well, if you had a private office before and you had pictures of your kids hanging on the wall, uh, you had certain prestige from having your own office. All of a sudden, you've lost that. So it may be a modern approach, but you've just lost something personally. And so whenever we put out a memo and say we're going to change things, we need to understand every time we ask people to change, there's a cost involved personally. And that's why, in in large part, why it makes a difference. But uh, also, a second thing is that people just find it difficult to keep pace with change. And certainly today, uh, you know, it used to be that it took over a hundred years for all of the information and knowledge in the world to double. Now it's taking uh, just like about a month or so. And they're estimating that eventually it'll be down to 12 hours. Every 12 hours, all of the human knowledge will be doubling. And so anyone who's just trying to keep up with the latest iPhone will realize that, or the latest software uh, for their, you know, the word processor, uh, and they realize there's things are always being updated. There's always a new feature that's being downloaded, and and trying to keep up with the latest change, especially as you get older, becomes increasingly difficult. Some people like it. Some people thrive with change, but a lot of people are going to get weary of that. And so when you say, "Well, we've got another change coming," uh, one of the things I think you have to, as a leader, be aware of is just the the pain threshold of the people you lead. And there's a certain pain involved with change, and you can only uh, let them experience so much pain until you need to give them a break. And some leaders make a mistake. They just pile on one change after another, and it's sort of a feather in their leadership cap because they're changing so many things. But what they don't realize is it's costing their people, and uh, and it's wearing them out. Uh, Another thing is that people prefer the status quo, and because everyone is invested in the way things are done now. Everybody's found their place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bureaucrats, especially in your organization, get very comfortable with, okay, this is how it's done. I'm in charge of this, which gives me certain uh, authority and power and influence. But if we change how things are done, then I may not be in, in charge of as much. I may not have as many people answer to me. I may not manage as much budget. Uh, I may have to go back and learn a bunch of stuff. Right now I'm the expert, but if we change uh, the system that uh, use a new software program, I won't be the expert anymore. And so for a lot of people, they just rather keep it the same. And the reality is that a lot of, for a lot of us, um, what we don't know is scary. Even if what we don't mm-hmm. know is better, we, we just prefer what we do know. And so a lot of folks just say, well, th- this is good enough. And especially if you've had success in the past, then you sort of feel like, well, this has worked well for us for a long time. Why, why change something that's been good? Even though perhaps you're in decline and you're not getting the results you used to get, uh, still, we've got a lot of track record with this, uh, a lot of previous success. So maybe we should just keep things the way we are. Uh, A fourth reason that people resist it is a lot of times they just naively think that if we just wait long enough, things will get better, as if just putting in time will will solve problems. And... There is a real naive hope that if we can just hold on long enough, perhaps you know our sales have been declining for years, but if we just hold on long enough, uh, maybe we'll get a better product coming in or there'll be renewed interest or we'll, we'll have a better advertising campaign. We'll just 
let's just wait a bit longer. Let's see how the, the year ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this sort of hunker down kind of mentality. Uh, well, you're, you're, you're giving up. Um, in a sense, you're, you're giving up on what we have been doing. And I'm still convinced that it'll work in time. You know, people will, will eventually come to see things our way. Um, and some folks just, they, they wait too long. And you literally can see an organization's sales and productivity declining, declining, declining. And you, you think at some point, before you hit rock bottom, it's time to bail out. But there are some who naively, right to the very end, uh, are, are going down with the Titanic saying, I think we can steer this thing around. Yeah. And, and they don't want to make a change. Uh, some people just, they don't see the need. They honestly don't see the need for change. And those are often people that, that just really like how things are done. And, and, and there have been some great examples of having a, a, an important board meeting in a very fancy, nice, executive boardroom. And you're surrounded by luxury. You're surrounded by opulence. And so you don't sense a, 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 the desperate need to change. Everything you see looks great. Uh, sometimes that's with a, a leader who's higher up the ladder. They don't hear all the complaints. They're, they're not down on the shop floor. They don't, yeah. they don't see the mess down there. They don't see the frustration and anger among the employees. To them, they're in this beautiful office suite, a beautiful view out their window. Uh, they have all kinds of perks. So why change things up? Uh, it's great for me. Uh, and so they, they just don't honestly see the need for it. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, you can have your, for instance, you may have decorated your store in a way that you, you love the decorations. It's your favorite kind of uh, surroundings. But it's not attracting customers. But you really like it. You yeah. think it's beautiful. You, you, you know, you, you designed it yourself. And it may not look professional. It may not look uh, very competent. But, um, but, you, but, but you like it. And so we kind of think, well, if I like how things are, then it must be good. But the fact is your customers don't like it that way. Your employees don't like it that way. We, we keep forgetting it's not about us. It's about our customer. It's about our clients. And if they don't like it, then it needs to change. Yeah. But there are people that would just say, well, I, but I like it this way. I think it's great. I, I, I love this product. Uh, and so we, we, we cling too long to something because we, all the sign is other people aren't satisfied with it, but because we like it, let's just hold on. And I've seen leaders that uh, they, they had a pet project. They had something that they had designed. Uh, they, it was their idea. And so even though it's clear the idea is not working, it was their idea, and they, they thought it was brilliant. So they hold on too long, and they just need to say, hey, I, I guess people just aren't as smart as I am. They don't see the brilliance of this, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to have to move on for the sake of the organization. I think you even mentioned the book that we talked about, our last book review, talking about how the people don't look at reality. Yeah. They, 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 they look away from reality and say that, that you know, it's... It's this way when, when in reality it isn't. Yeah, and uh, in the book Execution we looked at, the, the quote at one point, they just said, you know, people don't deal with reality very well. As a leader, you've got to just look at the harsh reality that it's something that perhaps you would really like, but that doesn't mean everybody would like. And I found that even with, with writing books. I, you know, I'll write a book that is the kind of book I would like to read, 
but that but there not everybody's like me unfortunately and so <laughs> uh so the people like me will like it but then i may be bewildered why other people didn't like that book the same way well I, i've got to see reality the way it is and not everyone is like me not everybody likes the products that i like and uh, so as a leader uh, I need to really make the hard call when it becomes obvious that for our organizations, whether I like how it's done or not, uh, some things need to change. And, you know, another aspect of that, sometimes you can really, really like uh, your staff. I mean, you become friends with them and they're a lot of fun, but they're not very productive. And so it's like, well, I don't want to shake up the staff. These are all great folks. I have a lot of fun working with these people. Well, that's all true, but they're not getting the job done. It doesn't matter that you enjoy the people you work with. You work with people so that you can get a job done. Sometimes we're just deceived into thinking, well, I've got this great team. We have great uh, unity. We have a great spirit. We always have fun when we get together. But it's just that sales have been in decline for you know the last 10 quarters. And But other than that, we, you know things are great. And the last one is just uh, sometimes just change just seems too difficult. I, I know a lot of folks who... Uh, they they know that things need to change, but they when, when they think of what it will cost, what it will take, they just think it just it would be great if we could do that, but it would just take too much effort. It will cost too much. Uh, it's just asking people to sacrifice too much. It'll take too long. And so I've I've seen all kinds of organizations that just entered a small or a slow but steady uh, terminal decline, and they just kind of resign themselves to the fact that. Um, we, we won't be around forever, but, um, but it, was just, it would just take too much to change. And so those are some of the reasons. Uh, but I think ultimately we have to realize change is costly to people. And if you're going to lead people to change, you, you've got to be aware of that cost. Uh, that's why you also don't just change things flippantly. Uh, don't, don't play around with other people's pain. If it's going to be painful to change something... Make sure it needs to be changed before you change mm. it. If every year you've got sweeping broad changes across the board in your organization, it's going to wear people out. Uh, yeah. Change if you need to. And you might need to make some incremental changes, but just understand it, it costs people for you to change things. And so change wisely when it's necessary. Do what you need to do, but, uh, but don't be surprised when there's resistance because there's a lot at stake for people every time you change something. Let's take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll look at uh, the tips for, for implementing that change. Twice a year, Black Bee Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. If this sounds like something you're interested in, the next workshop dates are October 24th to 26th, and registration is open now. The early bird rate is available until September 30th, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. We'll also leave links in the show notes. Well, Richard, as we've seen, change is hard. People are resistant to it. Can you, can you walk us through your tips, your advice when you, when you do have to make those changes? Yeah, I think there's several principles that are important for a leader to just take into account whenever it's time to make a change. And, and the first one that we would outline would be just to say, seek God's direction. Whether you're leading a church or you're leading a business, prayerfully ask God for guidance about what should be changed, what doesn't need to be changed. 
And the the reason we encourage people to seek God's guidance is because uh, we can easily begin to be a bit self-centered about change. It, we want to change things that benefits us. I've known various leaders over time. They they came in and replaced a successful leader before them, whether it was in a, leading a company, leading a church, or whatever it was. And the former leader was beloved and was revered and led for many productive years. And sometimes there'll be a real insecure leader. I've seen follow a very secure, successful leader. That's always a bad combination. Mm. And I actually have known some leaders that when they followed a, a widely respected leader, that they felt threatened by their predecessor. And mm. so what they did was they wanted to change everything so that it didn't remind them of the person that came before them. So I've literally known people that completely redesigned the office because the former CEO is, had designed the original office. Or I've even known people who wanted who relocated entirely because there was just, they, they, and they said, because everywhere I look, I see reminders of the previous leader. That, that's just outright mm-hmm. insecurity. And so sometimes we can be led to make changes because for the wrong reasons. Well, let's change, let's let's build a new building because then I'll have a much nicer office suite as a result. It's not that the company necessarily needs a new facility, but I'll have a nicer office if we do. Yeah. And so um, sometimes we need to, to guard ourselves from our own perhaps uh, skewed view of things. Be, be prayerfully praying about that. And, and again, remembering that if you lead people to change something, uh, it's going to cost them. So be sure that it's something that needs to be done, not just something you'd like to do. Another important concern is discern the organizational culture. Any wise leader is going to be aware of the culture of the organization they lead. Some cultures are pretty open to change. Some cultures are trusting. Some cultures have had enough change that, and it's worked out that they're fairly uh, accepting of that. Some cultures have really good communication processes. So if you're going to change something, everybody is being informed and being able to give their feedback. And so it's not so bad. But uh, other cultures are very resistant to change. And if you've had an organization that over the last four or five years has had a kind of revolving door of leaders that would change a bunch of things and then they'd be out and a new leader would come in and change everything and then be out. Well, you, if you come in there and try to just bring in your sweeping changes, people may be just tired of that and just say, we're not, we're not going there again. We've, we've heard all the same song and dance and we're not going to you know, buy into that again. And and then next year you have to change everything again. And also there's some organizations that, quite frankly, have a, a deeply ingrained bureaucracy. And there are people that, have, that are into controlling their position and holding on to their authority and their control and their budget. And that is what drives things. And everybody knows as you work up the organizational chart and you, you have more authority and uh, you're... You've got all kinds of respect and, and prestige now because you're higher up the org chart. Well, if you come in and you want to try to change all that out or flatten the organizational chart or whatever, you, you just have to know that there's going to be people that are going to you know, entrench themselves and say, mm-hmm. no, we like it how it is. So, uh, so if, you're going to, if you are going to change something, do your homework. Know what the, the, the culture is. And again, in a lot of cultures, there's a couple of influencers a couple of key people that if they support it, if they embrace the change, it, things will go smoothly. Yeah. And and so anytime I've ever led anything, 
I've always known the people I needed to make sure were on side. If they're on side, everybody else will fall in line as well. But, but, but I, I know some inexperienced leaders who don't know who those power brokers are. Yeah. And they charge ahead before they know they've got the support of key influencers. And, and then it blows up in their face and they'd say, well, I had this great idea. Why is everybody opposed to it? Well, you didn't do your homework. You, in the culture in your organization is this handful of people. Uh, th- they have such influence that you just want to make sure that they have talked it through and they're on side first. But it's kind of like uh, you know Moses sends in the twelve spies into the promised land. And if I were coaching Moses, <laughs> I would have said, "Why did you just have all twelve spies stand in front of all the people and just have them report? You you should have gone in a closed room." And talked it out with them first, and and raise let them raise their objections in a small room, where you could then address them, talk with them, get them to work through it. So when you stood in front of all the people, you knew what these influencers were going to say, but uh, Moses didn't, and of course has ten of them saying, "We'll all be killed if we go in there," and he's got the whole children of Israel weeping and crying in fear as a result. So why? And we'll we'll take more time just to talk about the culture of an organization. But I'll tell you what, a culture will eat you up and spit you out if you're not aware of what the culture is of the organization you lead. I also say just provide a clear picture of the desired destination. If you really want people uh, to change, don't just let them see the benefit. You know, you be honest and say, it's going to cost us. It's going to be painful. But let let me give you a picture of what it will look like uh, when we get to the other side. You know, one of the biggest things uh, in churches today is uh, changing music styles, modernizing things. And yeah. the moment that a, like a new pastor or a new worship leader comes in and says, uh, well, we're going we're gonna to modernize the music. As soon as you say that, you've got a civil war in your hands. And all the older folks are saying, uh, no, I, you're not going to give up uh, all, you know, all my, my favorite hymns. I, I grew up with those hymns. I, when I was a child, I, we sang those hymns. And, and now you're, you're asking me to give up what's very meaningful to me, what I've sung all my life. I'm not going to do it. So if I were a pastor trying to lead change, and I really felt we, we had to modernize the music, I would say something like this. I would, I'd, I'd get in a room full of the senior adults, and I would say, I want you to picture with me this. Picture that you're sitting in your favorite seat where you always sit on Sundays. The service is about to start. Everybody is getting ready to, to begin the service. And then you hear the pitter-patter of two sets of feet. Two children are running down the aisle, running to your pew. You look around, and there's your two grandkids. And your, your two grandkids have just been released from Sunday school. They've raced uh, breathlessly to get there and sit beside Grandma and Grandpa before the service starts. And now they're sitting next to you. And they know the words of this song. They, they love the, the music that's being sung. And it's not your favorite music, but every time you look and you see your little granddaughter singing her heart out, worshiping God, and your grandson holding your hand and singing songs that he knows, you think to yourself, you know what? It's worth it to be able to have my kids next to me. Because there's a whole lot of senior adults whose kids don't even go to the same church they do anymore because they don't find it meets their needs. It, it seems outdated to them, old-fashioned music. And so they go to an entirely different church than the one their grandparents go to. Now, when you paint a picture to say, I'm asking for change, but let me tell you the benefit of the change. Let me mm-hmm. tell you what will happen. 
And so if you're leading a company and you're asking people to change uh, the way they do things, paint a picture. Say, well, you know what's going to happen? This is going to increase sales by 25%, which is going to increase our revenue. We're going to be able to give promotions. We'll have, have bonuses. We'll, we're going to be able to expand our product line. Uh, we'll, we'll have a broader management that you'll be able to have a position to move into and so on. We'll, here's all the things. Let me, let me paint a picture of what this will be like when we're done. Or if you've got to build a new building. Describe what that building will be like, how it'll be so much better, how uh, it'll be so much more high-tech and easier to get your work done. And describe why this change is important. A lot of times we don't, we do a, a poor job of that. Yeah. All we do is just say we're going to have to implement this change and it's going to cost you and we'll have to put in extra time. But, uh, but we, don't, we don't paint a picture of why that's a benefit. Yeah, and I, I just don't think that can be overstated enough. No. Uh, the, the reason for this change, uh, and I think even... Even my own experience, you know, if you ask me to change something, I'm going to want to know why. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's, why is that's, this a, that's a That's fair. Yeah. Just to wrap up, just want to uh, cultivate a sense of urgency. A lot of people, they just, if, if they don't know how urgent it is to change, they're going to not be in a big hurry. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, we'll, sure, we'll change eventually. Why now? John Car- Cotter has written a number of books on change, including a book called Leading Change. And uh, he has a whole book on just creating a sense of urgency. He would say that's the number one thing that derails change is that Mm -hmm. people just don't understand how important it is, how critical it is that they change now. Uh, If if, if you don't feel a sense of urgency, you're not going to buy in for the change. You're not going to think it's as important. I mentioned before, but enlist advocates, which just basically means don't try to change everything on your own. Get the influencers on your side. Meet with them. Uh, beforehand, so that you're—it's not just you're not a lone voice. Right. You, 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 when you're going to change a whole organization, you've got to do it as a team. You, you may be the the spokesperson, the primary leader, but you have to be a team. You cannot just single-handedly change. You can put out a memo, but don't think that you can just because you're the boss, you can put out a memo and everything's going to change. You've got to have advocates that are all the way down the line supporting what you're trying to do. I also just say provide support, which means if you're going to ask people to change, make sure that you give them the support they need, the resources. Sometimes we we initiate a change as a leader, but then we've already moved on to something else. And yeah. and people are trying to change, but they're understaffed, they're undertrained, they don't have the resources, the budget, the personnel. You've asked them to take on a huge task, but not equip them properly to do it. And you, you fundamentally, you've just set them up to fail. So yeah. if you really want to make change happen, you make sure all the supplies, the resources, personnel are in place so that it will be successful. If you, if you try to change something and then you don't provide the necessary equipment and resources, before long, you're going to try to change something else and people will just, they won't even take you seriously. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, just follow through to the finish. Sometimes the biggest problem with leaders is they think the change has been made when it really hasn't. I mean, they, they may on the surface have changed some of the verbiage and you know, some of the things that are being done. And so the leader thinks, okay, great, that's done. We'll move on to something else. But it, it hasn't taken root yet. Oftentimes the leader, sometimes the leader will, will make a big change and then they'll, they'll leave. They'll go to a different position or a different job. And within a year... All those things that they thought they had changed have all reverted back to the way they used to be. They, they just deluded themselves into thinking they had really changed something. They had just sort of temporarily uh, adjusted a few things. But the change had never gone deep enough to the roots so that it stayed changed. And so 
as a leader, don't don't shift your focus to the next project before truly the change has taken root. It's embedded. People have now bought into it, and that has become a part of the of the culture. Uh, so stick with it to the end. Otherwise, it'll just you, you'll be amazed at how quickly what all that work just went out the window, and people have just reverted back to what they've done for years. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts on change, and I, and I know we'll be coming back to this. Yeah. It's a, a frequent topic in leadership. And for our listeners, if you have follow-up, if you have questions about change, maybe your organization is going through a big change now, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Send, us, send us an email, a podcast at blackaby.org. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.